0: Happy Question Show Day! Your questions, my answers. As always, wherever you are on my channel, when a question pops into your brain, just go ahead and write it down. I'll gather them up and I'll answer them here. If you don't wanna ask me a question on YouTube, go ahead, you can send me a tweet. Uh, I'm at fkane. I'm also at universe today. You can also reach me on Instagram at universe today and also fkane. You can send me a WhatsApp. Oh, you can't reach me on Google Plus anymore. They shut that down. Uh, you can also reach me on the CosmoQuest forum. Um, you can send me a message through email, fraserkane at gmail.com. Uh, reply to my newsletter. There's a lot of ways you can reach me, but the one that I recommend is to use my uh, YouTube channel. All right, let's get into the questions. Wallable. Is the universe old enough for there to have been intergalactic panspermia yet? Has Earth had life long enough for the earliest impacts on the living Earth to have thrown contaminated ejecta to the Magellanic clouds? I love this question. Uh and have had this literally exact same question uh several times before. Unfortunately, I get to ask experts. So so the idea of panspermia, of course, is this idea that life is moving from world to world within the solar system. So imagine some rock smashes into uh Mars, kicks up debris into space. Some of the debris has, has, uh, creatures on it, right? It has microbes on it. The microbes travel in space, desiccated, no problem. They enter the Earth's atmosphere, land on the ground, and then take over the Earth. And, and scientists are pretty sure that life can do each one of those steps. They can, they can handle being ejected into space from an asteroid impact. They can handle being in space for, tens of thousands, millions of years if they're protected under the surface, and they can handle re-entry through an atmosphere. So you can imagine life getting from Earth to Mars and back again and over to Europa and Enceladus, And, and if we do find life on other worlds, we would expect it to, to actually share a common ancestor that life has been moving around in the solar system. And so the question is, could you go to the next level? Could you have the, the solar system leaving a trail of debris behind it as it's moving through the Milky Way? And the answer is it, it absolutely is. I mean, we made that first detection of the interstellar asteroid Oumuamua, um, you know, a year ago. And this is an example of an asteroid that has made the journey from star to star. In fact, astronomers estimated that there are tens of thousands of extrasolar asteroids located in our solar system right now that have moved from star to star. So it's clear that that rocks are making this journey. And so the question is, could life... Could there be life in those rocks and could they survive for the millions or maybe billions of years that it would take to make that journey? And the question is that, that we don't know. I actually did, like I said, I did ask some astronomers, but this was several years ago when I sort of proposed this exact same concept that you're making. And they said, well, I don't, we don't really think that the, you know, space is really big and the galaxy is really big and the size of the trails that each star would be leaving would probably be small relative to the size and the chances of them intersect intersecting with each other is fairly low to get this transfer but now we know that in fact there are asteroids moving from star to star and passing within each other other systems and smashing into planets and so maybe we don't know it's all super super speculative but we just have more and more pieces of the puzzle coming in i can't see them reaching the magellanic cloud you know intergalactic panspermia but Interstellar panspermia is a reasonable hypothesis. We just need some kind of evidence. We've got to find more interstellar asteroids. Elevated mind. Wow, Plagiarize much? This is word for word taken from this website, universetoday.com, why do people go crazy during a full moon? Not cool. Create your own content. Cite your source if you're taking info from someone and don't regenerate the information you stole word for word. I get accused of of this every couple of weeks and obviously if you actually like you linked the article on the Universe Today website of which I am the publisher and I am the author of that article. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, I, I write my script for my video, and then I take the transcript that I have written, and I publish it on my website, and then I take the video and embed it, and the person didn't notice, but I actually had the video that they had watched embedded. But I'm guessing what happened was they did a search for, like, do people go crazy during the full moon, and then, um, uh, it popped up my website, but also popped up the YouTube video, and it had the same name, and it had the same description, and then they just, like, screamed plagiarism and although it's hilarious and we all get to have a little fun at their expense i i appreciate them coming to my defense them seeing something that is similar and it looking like they are Uh, You know, that someone has stolen my content. Whether someone, a video creator has stolen the web content or the, a web creator has stolen the video content, the point is someone has plagiarized someone and someone is stepping in to defend them. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I get, I get accused of this every couple of weeks and it's often because my content, you know, once I put it in web form, it gets stolen a lot. You'll see it on, you'll see a lot of my stuff on fizz.org. Um, and you'll see versions of it on on other channels around the internet. And part of the reason is because I allow this. If you go to my website and go to the about or the contact us page and it'll say, can we use your stuff? The answer is yes, go ahead, go crazy, do whatever you want. You can take my articles, you can put them into your newsletter. You can take my articles, you can read them as an audiobook. You can literally use my content for any purpose whatsoever that you like. All I ask is that you give me credit, right? That you say, I stole this article from Fraser Cain at Universe today. Um, If you want to use my a chunk of my video in one of your videos, go ahead. Uh, People do this all the time, and I'm happy. You can find videos where people have translated my videos into like Russian or Ukrainian and I'm and Chinese, and I'm like speaking some some other voiceover over top of me, which is great. I love it. More of that. Whatever gets the knowledge out there across the universe. So thank you for defending me. Uh, it was me on both sides and, um, and go ahead. If you want to use my content for any purpose whatsoever, be my guest. Fillmore Stop the live streams. They're terrible. Just stick with the normal videos. They're not for you. Any Destroy the moon is intelligent decision because is when You can create your mountains, seas. The sun moves towards the center of the galaxy. It is a tornado. The monster of the pyramid will want to steal this DVD, then cultivate more. Number one will leave that mantis to have won. Is it possible to destroy with tunnel grinder, rubby canyon by waves, earthquakes? With magic, no. Is opposite. Trap? Sure. The monster insert in your body. After? Don't remember. That's a bold claim. Could you cite your sources? Codeless. Fraser, I saw for the first time ever Jupiter and Saturn through a Celestron telescope AC-8900, and it was amazing. I tried looking for deep space objects, but I couldn't really see any. What size would I need to be able to see some nice deep space objects like nebulas, I think? If you know of any I would be able to see with the current telescope, I would like your suggestions. I live in the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa. Well, first, let me start by saying that living in South Africa, you have the best skies. The southern hemisphere skies, I've got to say, are a lot nicer than my own northern hemisphere skies. You have just amazing, um, you have the Magellanic Clouds, you have like the core of the Milky Way goes right overhead. <clears throat> For me it's always down on the horizon and all the really great nebulae that are in the core of the Milky Way are all right there. And so and they're like as clear as you can hope to want to see them. So you've got to know where to look. Right? Your telescope will be able to show you a bunch of bright nebulae. In the wintertime, you'll be able to see the Orion Nebula, obviously. And then in the summertime, you'll be able to see all of the nebulae that are in the core of the Milky Way. So the Lagoon Nebula, the Omega Nebula, the Eagle Nebula, there's a bunch of them. And they're all in there, and they're all these cool fuzzy reddish patches that you can see with your telescope. And then you can see other things, you can see some galaxies, although there aren't a lot of galaxies that you can see from the Southern Hemisphere. That's the downside of living in the Southern Hemisphere. And then there are globular clusters and open clusters. You have the Omega Cluster, which is the nicest cluster in the sky. It should look like just amazing with that telescope. So if I was to pick one target to go after, I would go after the Omega Cluster. But. The bottom line is that you're really only going to be able to see a handful of objects that really look good with a small telescope like that. In order to be able to see the nebulae that I know you want to see, you need to shift over to astrophotography and that is a whole other rabbit hole and it gets a lot more expensive. So the thing that I recommend actually is if you have a DSLR camera like what I'm shooting this episode with, if you've got... Um, you know, some camera that can do a longer exposure, try doing some wide field views, take some pictures of the Milky Way, and you can actually pick out a lot of those nebulae with say a 30 second exposure. So it's a really fun activity to get into. And if you wanna take it to the next level, get a tracking mount for your camera. They're only a couple of hundred dollars and will allow you to do a much longer exposure with your camera. And then you can put a longer lens on your camera and take an even better picture. And then if you really get into it, then you can move to a better telescope with a better mount, but still use your camera as your astrophoto camera on your telescope. So so for you to really see the kind of stuff that you're gonna wanna see, you're gonna wanna go down the astrophotography route, and it's gonna take more time, more expense. It's a whole big hobby to get into. Uh, worth it? But uh, you know, for some people, it might be too, too much to get into. So, but I think Omega Cluster, all of the stuff that you can see at the core of the Milky Way during July, August, you should see some amazing things there. And then in the wintertime, you can see the Orion Nebula. So uh, you've got lots of objects you can see in that telescope. Milo Schumpertapel. Would it be possible to launch a smart light sail that bends to reflect laser light to steer itself and stay on track instead of continuously aiming a laser to hit a target that shrinks as it grows ever farther away in both space and time? So I see what you're proposing that that you you have like the light sail and then you know, you are shooting your laser at it and it is somehow concentrating the beam to try and get more out of it. And I'm sure there is a way that you could do that, that you could have some kind of lens, Fresnel lens system or something that would, that would concentrate the beam. But I think the thing that's really important to understand about, about sails is that here in the solar system, for example, sails work in the same way that rockets work in that you if you, you know, everything is going to be orbiting around the sun. And so if you say you have a rocket and you fire your rocket, you will be raising your orbit. So if you are, say you're at Earth and you want to go to Mars, you will fire your rocket in the direction of Earth uh, that you are orbiting, uh, prograde, right? And then you're, you will raise your orbit, and you will eventually get up to the point that you're at Mars's orbit. And if you want to lower your orbit, then you just turn your rocket around and you fire in a retrograde, and that slows, that that lowers your orbit and brings you down to say the orbit of Venus. Now you can do the same thing with a laser with a light sail. So you have a, a solar sail that's going, say, around the sun. That's going, you know, that the Earth's orbit. And if you shoot your laser at one side, you're going to accelerate the light sail so that it raises its orbit, and now it's up to the orbit of Mars. And maybe it can, it can dock at a at a station at Phobos on Mars or deliver cargo or something like that. And if you want, then if you want, you can turn the laser the other, the the sail the other way, and you can shoot at it to essentially. Uh, give it a thrust in a retrograde and it will lower its orbit down to say if you wanted to deliver some cargo to Venus. So a lot of times, you know, if you point the sail in different directions, you're going to be delivering it a thrust in different ways. And that's how you have to sort of think about it. You don't want to think about it like moving around in space. is just going in direct lines. It's all about orbits. And you can either shoot in the direction to accelerate it, to move to a higher orbit, move to another star or you can move, you can shoot in to sort of lower it down to drop it into the sun. So uh, you know, but I would, I would imagine that there's going to be some kind of perfect balance where they're going to be using some combination of lenses and mirrors to accelerate spacecraft around the solar system, depending on how far away you are from where the laser source is. Karen Allen. Hey Fraser, I've seen several videos around the Big Bang Theory, but I still can't make sense of them as a layperson. I don't understand how a universe full of matter can come out of nowhere. If it all suddenly popped into existence from a single point, where did that point itself come from? I even watched a video by Stephen Hawking because I'm sure he understood it better than anyone, but I didn't understand his explanation because it's way over my head. All right, well, the first problem is that nobody knows the answer to this question, right? Where did the universe come from? Nobody knows. We don't know. Now, the Big Bang, all we know is that the universe, that various parts in the universe today are expanding away from each other. And so if you run the clock backward, you could imagine a time when places that were, that are billions of light years apart today were closer in the past and eventually at the exact same spot. But you're imagining, and I, I like to bring this up every couple of episodes, cause I, cause I know that people are imagining this wrong. You're imagining this point that like appeared out of nothing and then went, Kaboom and exploded and then it you know, expanded outward like a big sphere that's expanding. And that's not what happened that we know of. I want you to imagine instead like a a three dimensional grid of little dots. And today, and it goes on forever. Just imagine that it goes on forever. And today those dots are a billion light years apart, right? And they go on forever. And at the beginning of the universe, all of those dots were really close together, but they still go on forever, right? So it's going to be dots to your left, dots to your right, dots above, dots below, dots to the front, dots the back, right? Dots in all directions. And then they all moved away from each other and, and you got bigger distances in, in, in each one. And what set that off in the first place? Nobody knows the answer to that question. That is one of the unsolved questions in cosmology. and We may never get the answer to that, but, but we do know that the universe, the parts of the universe are expanding away from each other. That the universe was more dense in the past and is becoming less dense over time. And that, that is what the big bang is. The big bang is this understanding that the universe is less dense today and it was more dense in the past. What set it off in the first place? We don't know. HPA 97, could two or more planets have the same orbit around a star? Yeah, you're imagining like two planets going around a star, like maybe you know there's Earth and then there's evil Earth and they're on opposite sides of the sun. And the problem is that isn't stable, that the two planets are gonna interact with each other, there's gonna be slight problems with their orbits, there's gonna be interactions with the other planets in the solar system, and eventually the planets are gonna sort of oscillate back and forth, they're gonna get closer and closer to each other, and eventually they're gonna crash into each other. So it's kind of like saying, can you have two spiders in a jar? No, you can just have one fat spider. So you can't have two planets on the same orbit, you can just have one fat planet. Adam Chupp, it seems like most space news these days is focused on SpaceX Starship, Mars 2020, or James Webb, but what other interesting smaller missions are being planned or are launching soon? I like to think that 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 is what i specialize in if you go back and look at the videos that i've posted to this channel my hope is that you have not heard about these things anywhere else but here on my channel i've talked about space telescopes of the future i've talked about helicopters on mars um talked about various telescopes for hunting planets uh, and some really obscure stuff that you can only find by digging through NASA, old NASA proposals. So so keep watching my channel. That's that is what I love to talk about, is stuff that you've probably never heard of. So keep watching. Fun Botan. Okay, I respectfully think that you've completely missed the point about life evolving multiple times. As long as there's some temporal separation between abiogenesis events. The second comer will necessarily meet the first one who is by that point far more evolved and get eaten it's a winner takes all type situation so this was based on last week's episode where we talked about could life evolve multiple times and my answer was we don't see any evidence that it did and you're exactly right that that if life evolved multiple times then and assuming that they were compatible then one life form would eat the other life form and and you wouldn't see any evidence of that life form. And even if they weren't compatible, they would still be competing for the same environment. So, you know, they're still gonna be needing sunlight and they're still gonna be needing minerals and materials in the, in the local environment. And so you could, have, you could imagine some life form that doesn't use RNA or DNA, and yet is outcompeted competed by mitochondrial, life forms, multicellular life forms, because they just have a lot more energy involved. So you can imagine that. And so right now, all the life that we found on the entire planet is related. And so we see no evidence that there was any other abiogenesis, any other life form. It doesn't mean that it's not possible. And it doesn't mean that it just wasn't out, you know, out-competed. But right now there's no evidence. So I, I would love to find some. Um now people have mentioned that there's other ideas you know you could see maybe something uses a completely different biosphere maybe it uses arsenic as its chemical and or uh, ammonia as its solvent or silicone silicon based or something like that and yet we don't see any evidence of any of those other kinds of life as well so for now it looks like life has only evolved here on this planet once And as soon as we find any other example, then we can say it happened multiple times, but right now we don't know it. But I think it's something that we should really be looking for. I mean, I've talked to enough scientists who love this idea of a shadow biosphere, that they are actually here. We just don't have the techniques to look for them, but they might be all around us. So uh, we should look. Panos Peter Pan. Just how much smarter than us can a species be? An alien species. We don't know, uh, what, how intelligent intelligence can be. We are, if you imagine this continuum of intelligence, we're at a certain point, right? You can imagine, say, the smartest person who's ever lived to be more intelligent. You can imagine, I don't know, a cat to be less intelligent. But we don't know what the upper end of intelligence is. We're about to find out as we develop more and more powerful computers, we may get to a point where the computers are more generally intelligent than we are. And it might be that we can then start to make some estimates based on what is the fastest computer that you can possibly build using the amount of material that can possibly communicate using quantum mechanics and so on and so forth. We get to this point where we could figure it out. But the point is there's no reason to think why alien life forms couldn't be a lot more intelligent than us or especially computer alien life forms that are immensely more intelligent than us, and we might make them in the next few decades or hundreds of years. So we'll find out how intelligent things can become, but I'm pretty sure that we're not the smartest things that's possible. Brother mine, Universe Today was the name of a newspaper in the Babylon 5 TV series. I assume it was supposed to be the far future descendant of USA Today, a real newspaper. All right, so here's the origin story of the Universe Today website, which was that in 1999, 20 years ago, I wanted to get into science space journalism. I wanted to just like write a blog about space. And so I came up with a bunch of, I tried to come up with what the name was going to be. And it's the same process today. I took a bunch of spacey names and I took a bunch of timey names that sort of sounded like a newspaper and I mixed and matched them. And then I checked to see which domain names were available. And so I tried space today and space online and space now and space news and universe now and universe... Dot .com and space.com and all these other ones, and they were all taken. Universe Today was available, and so that was the domain name that I registered. And then later on, I found out that that is the name of the newspaper in Babylon 5. So, uh, yeah, completely independent, and uh, there you go. me's. It's so confusing that the first stars would be called Population 3. What are Population 1 and 2? And how did people come up with those names? Yeah, so when astronomers were first starting to figure out what stars were made of, right? In the mind of astronomers, there's hydrogen, helium, and metal. And metal is everything else on the periodic table of elements. And they found that there were stars in the Milky Way, some which had a lot of metal. And by metal, I mean lithium and you know, oxygen and carbon and other things that weren't hydrogen and helium that's left over from the Big Bang. And then ones that, that had almost no metal. And so they figured that the stars that had more metal had gone through multiple cycles. And so what they did was they said, okay, fine. So we've got population one and we got population two. Population one are the stars like the sun that have a lot of metal in them. Population two are the stars that have a lot less. They're metal poor stars that are probably more closer to the primordial stars that began the universe. And then I think in the 1970s, early 80s, astronomers said, oh, there must have been a first generation of stars that were only hydrogen, helium, a little bit of lithium left over from the Big Bang. They were probably enormous and lived fast, died quickly as gigantic supernova. And so because population one, two, they called those population three. And I know it's backwards, feels backwards in terms of sort of chronology, but that's how they got the name. All right, that's it for this week's question show. No guest answer, just me. Uh, but all, as always, wherever you are on my channel, if a question pops in your brain, just write it down. I'll gather them up and I will answer them here. I'll see you next week.